Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This one, a special request of Jay at 780-496-0063. The theme from The Raccoons. We are going back to a, what looks like a, a, a mid-70s, a late-70s childhood somewhere along the line. This is called Run With Us by Matt Fischel. It's Brendan Escott here steering the ship home in the final half hour of a game night. The Oilers heading down the QE2. They will play the Calgary Flames in preseason game number three. Seven o'clock puck dropped. Tonight on 6.30, Chad, your coverage beginning, well, right now and really about an hour and a half ago, but officially with the face-off show at 5.30. Let's do this before we get to Reed Wilkins here. I'm going to rattle off NHL today for our friends at Elite Promotional Marketing, your local branded merchandise specialist. Head to ElitePromoMarketing.com. Columbus Blue Jackets D-man, Andrew Peak, uh, defensive D-man getting paid today. Three-year contract extension, pays him two. $0.75 million per season. Blue Jackets Director of Player Personnel, Chris Clark, uh, former captain, is, uh, I believe of Washington, actually. Uh, he'll serve as USA Hockey's GM at the uh, 2023 World Championship. Seattle Kraken forward Jacob Melanson has been suspended two games for an illegal check to the head of uh, Oilers forward James Hamblin. That broke late yesterday. Penguins defenseman Jeff Petrie, $5,000 lighter in the pocketbook for roughing a Detroit player in preseason action. NHL continuing to monitor a family situation involving Vancouver Canucks owner Francesco Aquilini. The uh, the league announcing that today. Aquilini has been accused of abuse by three of his adult children. This is a revelation made in a Vancouver courtroom by the lawyer of the 53-year-old Aquilini's ex-wife, Talia Aquilini. Uh, Oil Kings hosting Regina tomorrow before Edmonton starts six straight road games. It's one against Prince Prince Albert uh, out at the Art Hauser and then down through Washington State for five more. That'll be a tough road swing. U of A Golden Bears visiting Mount Royal Friday night, returning home on Saturday. They will host the Cougars at the Claire Drake. So there is the rundown on all things in the hockey world. Again, it's a seven o'clock puck drop for the Flames and Oilers tonight. But as we bring in Reed Wilkins from the Oilers Radio Network and Inside Sports here on 630, Chad Reed. You grew up a Canadian boy, a youth, as it were, and you must have uh, had some sort of television theme show, or song rather, stick with you over the years. Did you just say I grew up a youth? Yeah, yeah, you uh, you were a Canadian youth at one point. I think <laughs> was, is what I was driving true. at. I was I was a Canadian youth at one point. Yes, sir. That's that's incredible. Now I'm a Canadian <laughs> adult. That's right. That's, that's awesome. Sorry, what was the qu- favorite Canadian TV show? Uh, yeah, I'm time? saying there's, this has been the theme of the okay. day. There's got to be something that's stuck yes. with you over the years. Okay, well, first of all, the Raccoons was on from 85 to 92. Or okay. sorry, yeah, 80, 85 to 92, because I remember <laughs> watching the Raccoons briefly. I didn't realize it was on for that long. But uh, I think there was a character or characters in it who really liked hockey. And I just was double-checking. It has one of the best villain character names of all time. The bad guy was uh, an aardvark named Cyril Sneer who was trying to destroy the forest that the raccoons <laughs> lived in. Cyril Sneer. Cyril That's a Sneer. really good uh, villain's name. Greatest Canadian TV show of all time. I will have to go with SCTV. 
Is that uh, the Northern Alberta bias, or is it just that good of a show? Like, it sounds well, like I have we, a lot of catching up to do, I, and I didn't realize Eugene Levy was in it, so, like, that's how little I know about this show. I SCTV was outstanding. And, yeah, I sure, it was made in Edmonton for part of its run, but that's it was just a great show regardless. I, I mean, Bob and Doug McKenzie are iconic characters, and you, you mentioned Eugene Levy. So many uh, people were on that show who went on to do incredible careers. I mean, Catherine O'Hara, obviously, uh, John Candy, Rick Moranis. Um, uh, Andrea Martin was on that show. I'm probably missing some people. Uh, uh, who was the guy that did uh, Count Floyd? Oh, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on him. But anyway... Um, you know, that, it, it was it was an awesome show. Uh, Joe Flaherty, yeah, he did Count Floyd, Guy Colombo, bunch of other characters. Uh, I think Martin Short was on it for a while. So, I mean, that was just a great show, incredibly funny, and yes, made in Edmonton for part of its uh, part of its run, and I think still stands up. I suppose if you were to look at this, this is one of those questions where you have a subjective answer that I just gave you. What what is my opinion? That would be Shit's Creek. I suppose if you wanted to look at accolades and critical reception, you would have to say the greatest Canadian show of all time is Shit's Creek. I mean, it did win the Emmy for Best Comedy Series. That's a pretty big deal. You know, going up again, I'm just looking at who would beat Curb Your Enthusiasm, Dead to Me, The Good Place, shows like that. So uh, th- those would, would come to mind for me. Uh, other Canadian shows, like, like I used to watch the Beachcombers when I was a kid. I, I did used to watch The Littlest Hobo. My dad hated The Littlest Hobo, but he used to watch with me. I guess it was kind of me, perhaps aimed at a younger audience. Kids in the Hall, another comedy show that was uh, very cutting edge at the time, very funny. That was that was a good show as well. So those would be some of my favorites. Interesting. And, you know, I think that as they were talking about before, you know, Canadian TV gets such a bad rap because of the abundance of shows that have to be made and have to be aired because of CRTC standards. And and a lot of that is just, you know, filler for when you get these. It's just nice to see shows like Schitt's Creek get that traction over the border. And I think later on in the Trailer Park Boys venture, which is a personal favorite of mine, once they got on Netflix and, and made the jump across into the U.S., they really took off and popularity anyway uh we could probably talk about that all day other time blocks for it so let's preview tonight's oilers game with the time we have left reed it I, I, what do you expect out of a preseason battle of alberta i guess you can say you see these two teams and you look across and and see the opposite uniforms and maybe there's that just innate bad blood but realistically i don't know with the oilers lineup that they'll be dressing tonight how much of that we can expect versus just guys trying to make the team yeah, I mean, you never know when something might boil over. Uh, I think we saw a couple of fights in last year's preseason. The one I remember is the one where, unfortunately, Cassian's helmet popped off and he hit his head on the ice. That was against the Vancouver Canucks. I suppose there's always the potential for that. But, I, I mean, I'm looking at the Oilers' expected lineup tonight, and uh, I see, what, uh, three players that played – sorry, four players that played in last year's playoff series – between these two teams. So it's not as if you got uh, a lot of history there. It's not as if there's scores to settle between individuals. So I I think with the, with the preseason now, I I mean, certainly there are storylines here for the Oilers. I think, 
you know, if if Murray is indeed played with Barry, how is that gonna how how is that gonna look? How is Murray gonna play there as compared to Broberg, who I think has been um, you know fine when we've seen him briefly so far in the preseason. You know, Warren Fogel spoke today, and he's maybe trying to find a little bit of a new role on the PK. So if he gets uh, some opportunities today, how does he do? But yeah, I, I feel like if, you know preseason game number three. The Oilers are playing eight games. Some teams are only playing six. We're not probably going to see McDavid, Dreisaitl, Hyman, Kane, and Nugent Hopkins, and Campbell, and Nurse, and CeCe until Friday when they host Calgary, when they only, you know, that'll be their fourth of the eight preseason games, which is maybe something uh, I'll have to ask Ken Holland someday about the number of preseason games and if he'd want to have fewer in the future. But I, 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 yeah, there, sure. Something could happen. You never know if there's going to be a, a cheap play or somebody that feels they have to stand up for themselves or, or do something maybe to defend a teammate. But I'm not going into this one thinking like, oh, yeah, these two guys are going to settle it or or, or uh, this guy's in the lineup to fight. So he's going to have to you know, take on Lucic or take a run at somebody. I, I don't really look at the games that way anymore. No, Very seldom in the preseason do you look at that. Certainly not. And five games and seven nights. And I, I think what I like the most about what I heard from Warren Fogle today is that he had, over the entire offseason, a clear understanding of what he needed to do to have a bigger role on this season's team. And I, I think that that's probably a byproduct of having a full season worth of Jay Woodcroft or a full offseason, if you want to look at it that way. So if that's the case for Warren Fogle, I'd like to think that it's probably the case for everybody on this Oilers team and particularly in the bottom six where it's not like you've got 50 games left in a season to try and and show Woodcroft where you belong. Now you've had an entire offseason to work within where he wants you to be. So hearing Fogel talk about his um, desire to work on the penalty kill and, and earn a spot there was really encouraging in my mind. Yeah, Fogel will be an interesting player to watch. Um you know he he did get to 12 goals last season which was which was uh, kind of you know basically on his career pace he had 13 and 68 games with carolina a couple of years ago in the season shortened by the pandemic he got to 10 and 53 so he probably gets to 13 14 15 if if that would have been a full season the the thing for fogel was if I were to delineate it as generally as possible, he he was better in the in the first half of the season than he was in the second half. I, you know, I I think he was a, a pretty solid third line presence in the first half of the season, and then maybe wasn't as effective as we got into January, February, March, and April. And the crazy story for him is the only Oiler to play in all eighty two games. And and I know McDavid and Drysdale didn't get there because they were they were held out in the last game. But but still, a bit of a feather in his cap that he got to eighty two, and then he was scratched in a playoff game after being a, a player that you wouldn't really consider taking out of the lineup for for much of the regular season. It's always interesting to me in in training camp because I, I've seen this before, Brennan, and, and and you have as well. Um, how w- when a player talks about doing something new, you know, at what point in a player's career is is that just not feasible, even if he's trying really hard to do it, and. Uh, this this isn't necessarily quite an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but a year ago, we were talking a lot about Kyle Turris having worked on some things in the summer to become a bottom six player. 
And then he, you know, really didn't play much during the season. Then obviously his injury kept him out. So, uh, you know, for Fogel saying, okay, I want to be a better penalty killer and get back into the groove of doing that thing. Absolutely. He recognizes that that's something he's going to have to do to get ice time on this team. Um, But, you know, is is that something that, that he realistically he's uh he's going to be able to do once once he actually tries to do it and there are other players trying to do that same thing on this team because killing penalties on the Oilers that's a way to get ice time because it's pretty hard to get on the power play <laughs> at least at least on the first unit power play as as we know so it, I, i'm curious to see how that goes for him. i mean you, you got to put the work in and i'm not writing him off but i'm just saying that um, sometimes, you know, players who are at, attempting a significant role shift um, towards the mid or later points of their careers, that, that often proves very difficult to get to. I hope, he, I hope he does it, though, because I think when he's on his game, he's got some speed, he's got some size, and he's got some tenacity around the net. You know, clearly he doesn't finish at a high rate, but I think that's kind of why he's, he's in the role that he is. Um, but, you know, hopefully it works out for him. Yeah, and you don't need him to finish at a high rate when you've got the offense that this team now does in basically every spot of that top six. So one of many storylines as, as we move towards this preseason game, Flames were playing with split squads previously. Is that sort of a way of them just getting to the eight preseason games played? And and why haven't the Oilers done that? Any insight? Uh, I don't know why the Oilers stopped doing it. Uh, I know a few years ago, the preseason often started with split split squad games against Calgary. Because I I remember even a few years ago, uh, a game at Rexall Place, Rob and I doing overtime open line, and we hadn't seen the game in Calgary because we were watching the game in Edmonton. We actually had somebody call in and say, hey, I was at the game in Calgary, and here are some some things I observed. So, yeah, the Oilers just haven't had that uh, on on their menu lately. But you see, I, I think the Predators and, was it Panthers had? split squad the other day Calgary and Vancouver did it so it does happen occasionally but Edmonton hasn't done it I don't think the Oilers have done it since Ken Holland took over what's the goaltending situation shaping up to be tonight are we going to get a look at Calvin Pickard yeah, looks like Pickard and Skinner are are, are probably going to split which uh, they, they split the shutout the other night I, I think the goaltending depth chart is pretty much set but you know Pickard is a player with NHL experience and if there is uh, an injury or a significant slump, then then there's a chance that you could see him in the NHL. He, you know, he's he's been in the NHL. He he, he was on a really, uh, uh, quite frankly, bad Colorado team a few years ago. Um, but he's bounced around a little bit. He has had some good runs over his career. I think he's a good number three goaltender in the NHL. I, I wouldn't put him ahead of Skinner at this point, even though he has more experience. I think you got to let Skinner be the backup. He's put the work in. He's he's built up. Uh, I, I mean, even. With without seeing him play, which we have and the listeners have, but even without seeing him play, you can kind of look at his stats and say, oh, okay, here's an elite WHL goalie who went to the AHL and struggled and went to the ECHL and got better and then got back into the AHL and got better and did fairly well when he appeared in the National Hockey League. Uh, you know, I, I Skinner's always, uh, you know, they talk about Jack Campbell being a really nice guy. Skinner always comes across uh, uh, really solid, really outgoing, really upbeat whenever he talks. The, I think the Edmonton connection is uh, is is fun for his story as well. And, you know, he has, uh, what is he, I think he has nine or ten siblings, so part of a big family that's supporting him as well. He wears 74 because 
he just took the next uh, wasn't the story he just took the next number in succession sequence. of what his brothers were wearing like his previous two brothers had worn 72 and 73 yeah. on some teams so he just he, so he just took 74 which is why he kind of has the unusual number for a goaltender but I, I would expect those two guys to split the game tonight but uh, I mean to me the number two job is 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 Skinner's unless he, he really fumbles it and there's no indication he's going to do that and here's what I like best about the number situation quite literally um, 74 plus 36 for Campbell is what 110 percent better than maybe in years past we you can gotta give 110 percent right? all the time well you can't give more than 110 percent if you ask here's the scary uh, part Chris Jones <laughs> just wait until somebody tries to give 111 percent then all those one tenors what are they gonna Forget do they're gonna it. look lazy they're, no they're gonna get left in the dust absolutely uh, got a texture here Ron in the north end says um, hey, do Ron. we think some of the uh, some of the veteran players will play Against Calgary on Friday night when that oh yeah for sure oh yeah 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 that's what yeah that's what I meant when I was talking about those guys the other night I think that'll be the preseason debut because it'll be a home game right and Mm -hmm. and you're closer to the regular season so I think that'll I think Friday we'll see McDavid Drysital Kane Hyman Nugent Hopkins Nurse and Cece I think I've hit on everybody. Uh, uh, who else might play? Oh, and then Campbell. Campbell will be the goalie, and I assume Yamamoto will be back in. He played the one preseason game, but I assume he would get and probably Puliyarvi as well. Like I, I wouldn't surprise it wouldn't surprise me Friday if it's two thirds of what's going to be the NHL team, even three quarters. You know, like maybe fourteen to sixteen guys who are going to be in the on the opening day roster would play mm-hmm. on Friday. That that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, another text here that's uh, it's from Randy, and he's looking for clarification. So Fogel doesn't need to score to be effective, but yes, Apoyarvi does. Assuming they both are bottom six players, why are there different expectations on those two players? It's an interesting. Well, I, well, I haven't. I haven't placed different expectations on those two players. I, I didn't say that Fogel doesn't need to score. I said, given his history, he's not going to score at a high rate. If Jesse Pugliarvi is playing on one of the top two lines, then yes, he's going to need to score. Mm-hmm. If Jesse Pugliarvi isn't on one of the top two lines, then for me, the expectation of him scoring will decrease. Um, yeah, while wow. some people are just determined to make everything about Pugliarvi, eh? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, and, and I don't really understand the need to dive to his defense there. I mean, if if you are seeing something here, um, I agree with you, Reed. If he's going to be in the bottom six, then he doesn't need to score. Fifteen goals would be great out of him. Ten or twelve is probably the most realistic thing. But you say the same out of Warren Fogle, and that's the upper end of his uh, t- t- perceived ability, let's say. And I think most people think ten or fifteen goals for Pulleyarvi should be the absolute bare minimum on an annual basis. Yeah, look, I, I hope Pulleyarvi does well. I, I really, I really do. But I, like, I. <sighs> I mean, like I said, I don't know what people want me to say. Like he, 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 I stand by what I say. He is a confounding player because there is such a, a variance between his high end games and his low end games. Um, and and again, and and I've said this numerous times. It has now been four head coaches who have given him spots in the top six and have wound up demoting him: Todd McClellan, Ken Hitchcock, Dave Tippett, and Jay Woodcroft. This is not a conspiracy. This is this is serious hockey men coaching at the highest level of the game who basically have all tried 
basically wound up treating the player the same way. So either you believe they're all out to get him and irritate you personally as a fan, <laughs> or there are warts in his game that that continue continue to pop up. Yeah, I like sure it'd be great if Warren Fogle was a, a forty goal scorer, but he's he's not going to be talked about that way. Like he doesn't play on the top two lines unless very occasionally. So like that, I I just think that text is is so uh, misguided and off base like I, I wasn't even talking about Jesse Pugliarvi and then the guy wants to make the discussion about him okay have a great afternoon call <laughs> me tonight after the game <laughs> 780-496-0063 we'll let you go I appreciate you helping me steer the ship man yeah thanks for having me we will uh, talk to Reed later on tonight, 5.30. He takes the uh, the airwaves over for the face-off show. We'll wrap up Oilers now after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, there you go, Beachcombers fans. I dropped it in there for you. 155 in Edmonton. Let's go to this day in Oilers history. It's brought to you by New West Travel. This November, join Oilers now on a road trip down to New York. You'll see the Oilers play the Rangers and the Islanders in that brand new building on Long Island. For details, call newwesttravel.com or visit... Yeah, wait, what? Call New West Travel or... Go online. That's how the internet works, right? You go to newwesttravel.com, my goodness. On this day in 1962, happy birthday, Grant Fear, who was born in Spruce Grove, Alberta. The Oilers selecting him eighth overall in the 1981 entry draft. He went on to uh, 10 seasons worth of a Hall of Fame career during the Oilers' dynasty run. Uh, Fear winning 300 games and four Stanley Cups in that time. The Vesna winner in 1988 was shipped out in September of 91, a blockbuster deal with Toronto, and he spent some time with Buffalo, St. Louis, Los Angeles, and Calgary before retiring in 2000. Okay, Oilers and Flames from the Scotiabank Saddledome tonight, 7 o'clock puck drop, 5.30 face-off show. Tomorrow on Oilers Now, Bob back in the host chair. You'll hear from Sportsnet's color analyst, Louis DeBrusque. Up next on 6.30, Chat a global news weather traffic up Update with Kevin Robertson, followed by Rob Breckenridge from 2 to 3, and then 6.30 Cheds uh, afternoons with Jalen Nye. Brendan Escott here. Appreciate you tuning in and texting in, of course. We'll talk to you tomorrow. So long from the 6.30 Chad Studios.